Hello and welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast with me, your host, Fabio Molle. Every week I speak to the big hitters in the world of tennis, both on and off the court, about the game and how we can all get 1% better every day at what we do. As an ex-national team player, I know exactly how tough this can be, so I'm on a journey to get the very best tips and advice from the world of tennis. Last week on the podcast, I met Bill Ekstrom, founder of Excel Sports. In our chat, Bill explains the research behind his compelling theory that the key to getting results in sport is more down to building strong relationships rather than skill development. Bill also gives us his tips for what makes a great coach and why our greatest strength can become our greatest weakness. It's a fascinating episode, so make sure you check it out. This week on the Functional Tennis Podcast, I'll be speaking to former world number three, Ivan Lubitschik. We all probably remember even from great duels with legends like Nadal or Djokovic, his performance in Grand Slams or even his title wins, as well as coaching Roger Federer. But Ivan's life story is much more than that. Ivan grew up in the part of Europe formerly known as Yugoslavia and he had to escape his home country in the early 90s during the Bosnian War. Ivan, barely a teenager, would move to Italy and devote his life to tennis. In 1995 he won his first junior championship and would continue to excel with career highlights that include reaching a Grand Slam semi-final at the 2006 French Open and an ATP World Masters 1000 title in 2010. He would then move into coaching, working with some of the best in the game like Milos Raonic and of course Roger Federer. In our chat, Ivan opens up about the challenging circumstances he experienced growing up and how this helped lead him to his successful career. Ivan also tells us about his amazing academy he started in Loshen, Croatia, which I hope to visit very soon, and what it's like to coach Roger Federer. But first, let's learn a bit more about his incredible journey in tennis began. Hi, Ivan. Welcome to the Function Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you. It's a pleasure. We've recently relaunched the podcast and no better guest to get on than you and get this podcast underway. Another great episode. So excited to talk a lot about your your junior, your early days, your playing career, your coaching career and what you're up to now. And there's so much to talk about. But let's first of all, just talk about your early days. You didn't have a, a normal upbringing. You'd quite a challenging upbringing. So tell us like a bit about your upbringing and how tennis started for you in that journey. Well, I mean, it, it was wild, obviously. I mean, now looking back, of course, when you're a kid, everything looks normal, right? Uh, you think that you're childhood is like anybody's childhood but uh, it was it was rocky it was tough um i was i grew up in former yugoslavia the country that doesn't exist anymore and then we had uh, we had a war in the early 90s um my family became a refugee we were refugees and uh, really left home when i was 13 never came back managed to 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 stay afloat and stay alive for for those tough months it was uh, 1992 was very difficult year for my family and i always i always mention my family because i was 13 like what did i know like for me was you know i didn't know what was going on and i i you know my parents made sure especially my mom she she made sure that everything kind of looked okay it's gonna be fine we're gonna come back home you know it's don't worry and you know i was just just going day by day um uh, focus was try to play tennis when you can um and just go to school and see what happens and um so at the time went bad by nothing was happening we we stayed away from our home and then i got a call to go to to italy and this was the breakthrough of of my life i think absolutely the the most maybe one of the most important moments of of my life my career in 1993 i was 14 i was invited to be uh, to be part of the group of players to 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 visit that club and to stay there we got offered uh, it was 10 of us we got offered Le Pledi was name of the club in Moncalieri, which is right next to Turin in Italy. And it was, this was uh, incredible. I mean, the luck and the opportunity we got uh, was, was amazing. It was the best club in Europe at the time. All the best Italian players were there. We were, you know, I couldn't believe it, but I got there. And then I slept in the club, practiced every day, all day for years. And uh, my, my, my career went really like incredibly fast up i was i was not even i mean i was nowhere near to be the best in croatia at the time and a couple of years later i was one of the best juniors in the world so it was it was incredible luck uh, circumstance that 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 happened to me and then i took advantage of it and uh, yeah i mean then you know th those I think those times many people don't know, but then you know of course once I hit the international stage, you know it's much easier to to check 
how my junior career was and everything that happened later. You know, uh, 1995, um, we had first, I was 16, we had the first international result. Uh, we won a Winter Cup uh, as a team, Croatia. Uh, with Ivo Karlovic and, and me, we were big servers. Um, people didn't know us, nobody knew about us. And we ended up winning the whole thing, which is uh, basically the national, the, 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 the team competition indoor uh, during the winter that it's played. Now it's going to be played in February. And then 96, I started to play some juniors, um, really beginning, uh, beginning of the year. And then in, in April, May, I already won my first title, which was a grade two in, in Prato. And a couple of weeks later, I played the Wimbledon final. I mean, everything happened so fast um, that, that I got first uh, sponsorship contract with Adidas, which was fantastic for me because that then allowed me to invest more in my career and my team. So everything really from 93 to 97, things happened so fast that I came from absolutely nowhere to be one of the best juniors in the world. And do you remember a day where you decided, okay, I'm all in here, I'm going to be professional? I, I don't remember the day. I do remember, well, again, you know, um, I think it's maybe when you are 12, 13, you know, it's not you who makes decisions. <laughs> It was definitely a decision of my parents. You know, my parents and my father especially was the one when, because when we left as refugees from home, my father had to stay behind. And uh, I do remember him telling my mom, whatever happens, try to make Ivan play tennis, right? We don't know. And then I actually saw my father nine months later. We haven't seen each other. I didn't know anything about him for nine months, but he did say, insist on tennis, right? So, um, the, the, the life circumstance kind of put us, put me in a position that I had no choice. It's not like I had to, I, I had a choice to decide, do I want to go to school? Do I want to go to this university or do I want to play tennis? No, no, it was tennis or nothing, right? So um, in a way it helped as well. You know, when you don't have a choice, you just put all the eggs in that basket and you just go. In that sense, it helped me uh, knowing that I have no other option. So, uh, to come back to your question, I don't remember necessarily the day, but I knew all my life, I knew that it's going to be tennis or nothing. And um, tennis, it is. So did you see that as a dream or as, I know you're saying this is what I got to do. It's a bit different to a dream, isn't it? When you know this is your only option. Yeah, but it was not enjoyable. I have to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, I started to enjoy tennis as such or everything about tennis, I would say, once I broke into the top 10, top five, everything okay. before that, I felt like it was a job. It was something that I had to do, something that uh, would save my life and the life of my family and uh, of my, you know, everything. So for me, it was a lot of pressure, absolutely. And uh, not necessarily I enjoyed, you know, the practice days. And of course you enjoy the winnings, but everything else is just, uh, it's quite, it's quite tough. I mean, that's, but I, I also felt like I, I never felt like I was suffering more than others. You know, I, I felt like it's what you got to do. If you want to be one of the best in the world in something, it's not going to be comfortable. I mean, it's not supposed to be comfortable. So I never felt like uh, suffering. It was an investment into trying to, to do something special or create something special. And what was one of the biggest challenges you had to overcome? You say a lot of the other players might have had similar challenges, but... For you, during those junior years away from home in Turin, uh, you know, you're compete, you're working for your life here, for your livelihood, for your family. For you, what was the biggest challenge you felt? Oh, I miss my family. I mean, honestly, I was alone in, in Turin. I was. Uh, it was way too early to leave the family. Um, I I was concerned. I was worried. Uh, that was the toughest part for sure. Those first year, first year and a half in Italy was really difficult. I didn't speak the language. Um, it was, I was completely by myself and that was tough. Um, later, I think every stage of my career, of my life had different challenges. Um, and, and, you know, they changed with the time, your, your objectives, your goals change with the time. So, um, but that first period was by far the toughest, you know, now, uh, you know, do you feel the pressure going to play semifinal of Grand Slam? Of course you do, you know, but you cannot compare that kind of pressure to the life pressure that you have at the beginning where you literally have nothing, right? So that, that in a way for sure, a lot of people ask me, did my childhood upbringing kind of shaped me? Um, did I become stronger because of it? Honestly, I have no idea. 
because I didn't find myself very often thinking about my past. I was, I'm, I am still today a person that thinks about present and future. Looking back, oh my God, what a journey, absolutely amazing. But I never really sat down looking in the mirror thinking, you know, my life is hard and because of it, I'm stronger and because of it, I'm going to make it. You know, I never did it. But for sure, what we as a family, we went through, I think for sure it made me a bit tougher than maybe I, I normally would be. I'm, I'm jumping on here. This That was one of my questions for you further on here was, did that make you tougher? You see Novak as well had tough times in Belgrade. See, a lot of Eastern, Euro- Eastern European players are so good because times were harder, you know, those years. And I think it's made players like you and more more resilient because they say you've only one option. You got to do it. Yeah, probably. But, you know, honestly, again, I don't, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I heard Novak's interviews and, and stuff, but, you know, I don't, it would be uh, kind of e- good sell to say, you know, how oh, I, you know, had a tough times and I thought that I'm going to be better because of this. And then I, it's not like this, you know, you, you just, yeah. just go day by day. You try to do your best every day and you have maybe more pressure than other kids who can choose if they want to play football, they want to play basketball, they want to play tennis, they want to go to school, they want to go out with friends. I didn't have those choices, you know, so was it tougher? I don't know. I mean, I, it was my life. I didn't know any other life, you know? So looking back from this position that I have today, looking back, it's tough. Like I wouldn't go back to that. <laughs> I can tell you that, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not, I, I cannot say that, you know, while I was there that I was thinking I'm mentally stronger than others. I think it's just something that you are, you're not. And, and, uh, and then with the time, you know, the, the, whatever you're going through your life, it kind of shapes you even more. Um, but at, at in that particular moment, you know, you you use what you have around you. It's it's. I think it's it's quite quite actually simple. Maybe less choices is is what it comes down to. Where you spend more time Absolutely. on court, you've less I, I, distractions. I, I'm, I'm convinced. Yes, I'm convinced that you know too many choices is not good at at uh, at early stage of anybody's life. And moving on, so when you worked with Ricardo Piatti for 15 years uh, throughout your career, how did you begin working with Ricardo? Well, he was he was one of the coaches in that club when I where I came as a refugee as a kid. Uh, but uh, I didn't work with him at the time. He was working with top Italian players, Cristiano Caratti, Renzo Furlan, Omar Camporese. They were top players, and he was their coach. Then later in 1997, when I was 18 years old, he called me up, and uh, obviously we knew each other because we spent time together in the same pl- club. But he called me up and said he wanted to create like a junior team. Um, that the, the the pro players that I just mentioned they were about to you know to get they were getting older so he wanted to create young team and uh, I was one of the players that he wanted to have in the team and I said of course yes I mean without any doubt and other players that he invited actually never came so all of a sudden this junior team it was only me which was fantastic for me because I got all of his attention and and uh, that's how we started well and. What is the secret working with a coach for 15 years? Because, you know, we see a lot of great relationships built over long-term partnerships. And for you, what was the secret of maintaining that relationship and being able to work with him for so long? And him work with you, by the way. I mean, uh, from my side, it's quite simple. You know, it's trust. You know, I had the best coach uh, in the world. I believed so. And I just stuck with it. You know, Um, I never once in my life, I thought that I should change or I'm supposed to change or... Um, he was my coach and all I got what with him was with him. Um, never once in my life or a moment I thought of maybe I should maybe do something else or try something different. You know, he was the person that knew me the best. So um, now looking back, would I do the same? Honestly, I have no idea. You know, maybe now because back in the days, there were not like two coaches, you know, now it's very popular to have two coaches, you know, but back then it was this, if you don't like it, change it. Uh, now looking back, maybe, you know, these two coaches thing would work um, to have him yeah. because I would never get, get rid of him because I think he was incredibly valuable for me, but maybe I would add another person, another maybe former player or another uh, figure um, to the team but you know back then it was not not something that people were doing uh, who would you add if you were playing now Ooh. and you card on the corner you thought one more would you add roger i never got this question who would i i don't know i mean obviously goran comes to mind 
as, as a first person that I've for sure, but we are so different. That's why we like each other. We have a great relationship because mm -hmm. we are completely different. Uh, I'm not sure if, if, we, if it were work out, you know, as, as a work relationship. Um, but I don't know. I honestly, I, I never got this question. Who would I, um, don't know. I mean, you, you got me. I, I really no idea. I, I'll try maybe as we go on, maybe I'll, yeah. somebody will come up. Um, Have a but think. yeah, great question. When you, you said for you, you felt comfortable after you made top 10, you, you felt a bit more comfortable. Did anything change? Did the fire stop burning? What drove you then? Once you hit the top 10, what was igniting the fire inside? Yeah, it was, it was different. Um, of course, uh, playing tournaments, your basically entire career, your life, where semifinal it's a great result to then basically overnight overnight semifinals becomes bad result it's it's a big change it's a big change yeah. and that's something that you know that was something that for me was not easy to get used to but you know you just go with it um and uh, i had a dip a little bit in in kind of motivation in 2007 2008 where I, I felt like I, I I reached my peak and that, uh, you know, motivation, it's, you know, when I say motivation was not there, not that I, you know, I'm just saying that it was not as 110% as it was up until then, you know, which is needed to kind of always keep improving. Um, now, looking back, I, I should have maybe changed uh, maybe way of practice or maybe what we spoke about earlier, maybe add another person in the team just to kind of change your perspective a little bit because it became a little bit slow at one point. You know, it became like I would be doing always the same things. And uh, 2005, 2006, I was winning tournaments, playing the finals almost every week. And then 2007, 2008, you know, I kind of dropped to 15, 20 in the rankings, which was OK, of course. But I felt like I, I missed something, you know, I felt like I feel if I missed the injection of new energy of some kind. Now we're looking back, maybe, you know, adding another person. And again, we go back yeah. to that would have would have, you know, ignited that spark again. But uh, it was it was a bit different. And, and then that's where I stopped also in 2000. I was thinking about stopping in 11 and then I stopped in 10 because I felt like, you know, I, the best is behind me. And, and I wanted, and, and when you realize that, it's very difficult to motivate yourself to push every day, you know, because if you were once number three, number five, or number seven in the world, and then you find yourself in number 30, which is fantastic, but knowing that you cannot go back to top 10, then it's tough, you know, then it becomes really just going week by week, you play quarters, you know, you travel, you know, and, and then it's not fun anymore. And that's where I decided it's better to stop now because... I'm healthy, I'm fine, you know, I uh, have energy, I rather focus on doing something else than, you know, just keep dragging this thing uh, while actually not enjoying it. Yeah, it's, it seems to me like something that would really hurt inside when you know you've, you've, you've held it before and you just can't but grasp you know, the, the, it anymore. The this, is, this is where tennis is tough because you still can beat the top guys, right? It's not about that. You, you do beat them occasionally here and there. This is where you hope okay, now, now here we go, right? And then it doesn't happen, yeah. actually, right? So um, it's, it's, uh, that, that's what I got a lot of questions about Roger as well. Like, uh, why is he still playing, you know? And, and but he's still playing because he's the best in the world or one of the best in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, um, as a tennis player, you don't go like from five to 15 in six months, right? You, you, if, you, you, if you drop, you drop gradually. And then every once in a while, you kind of still do a good result and you go back up. Yeah. So nobody can really tell you, you know, you're not good enough anymore, right? As long as you can run, as long as you can play, if you have been top 10, you're always going to be 30, 35. I mean, look at Andy Murray, right? It's, it's the same kind of thing. He he can beat the best in the world. I, I truly believe that Andy with Rafa tomorrow, I don't know who's gonna win one match, right? But when you when you go when you look at the season, Andy is losing matches against the guys that he was not losing before. It's not about beating that one guy once. And this is where mm -hmm. then eventually it becomes you realize or you don't or it doesn't matter. I mean Andy just loves playing, which I appreciate and I respect immensely, right? For me it was not I didn't find fun being 35 in the world yeah uh, it's, it's crazy I've, i'm actually going through your list here of the players you played like such a span uh curtain safin kafelnikov 
Ruddock, and then we the Federer, Nadal's, Novak, Goran, Vavinka, Maya, Baghdad. It's like what a, you played through so many eras there. Is, yeah. is there anything that these that this particular group of players, they're all legends of the game. Is there one thing that they have that the others don't have? Well, first we have three guys, right? That are oh, yeah, yeah. different than others. And I played yes. all of them many times. Uh, then you, you, the, the players that you, that you mentioned, um, they do kind of, there is something, right? There is something, they know how to win matches. They know how to, they understand the dynamics of the match a bit better than, than maybe the level down, right? And, and, and this is where I remember, especially Guga, you know, you, you, he wouldn't, literally, he would not return one serve for an hour and a half. Like, it was so easy to play against him. For me, as a big server, he, he would just not return any. And then all of a yeah. sudden, five all in a second, you know, 30 all, you, you feel a little bit tense and he goes back and all of a sudden you, you find yourself in a rally that you have not been in an in, in hour and a half. And he just goes, boom, back and down the line winner. You know, it's, 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 it's those moments that, that those top players, they understand how to play and how to win matches, you know, because I, I also like now with the kids that I teach, um, you know, it's not when you, when you see somebody playing, it's, it, there are ball hitters, you hitting the ball, it's one thing, but playing matches, winning matches, playing tennis, it's something different, right? And, and sometimes I spend, so, some of them are faster, fast learner, but some kids I spend one year explaining that it's not the forehand inside in that you missed. Is the shot that you should not have played in that moment, right? So it's actually understanding. And what I find very difficult with the kids these days, they don't watch tennis. They don't. And when I talk about watching tennis, it's not highlights, right? It's not uh, 10 seconds or not even 10 minutes kind of rep of a match. I'm talking about sitting in the stands and watching a match for two hours trying to understand what happened, why this guy did this this guy won and why this guy lost. Why is it? And then you go day by day by day by day and this is how you learn tennis. And this just does not happen these days. It's just not possible. And 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 I'm not you know one of those oh we have to go back to old days. No, old days are old days and they're gone. So but it's for me as as a coach now as a teacher like i have to i feel like a lot of pressure to explain everything because i know they're not watching like i cannot expect a kid to kind of come back next day and tell me ah oh, you know i watched this match and i saw this amazing no it's not happening unfortunately it's not happening and why do these guys have those great decision awareness and decision making skills is it something they great coaches or they were quick learners why? I don't know. They are just different. This is this is where you see also when you're teaching, when you're coaching. You know, some kids just they, they just get it. They just understand quicker. They just implement what you're telling them. And others are just not. You know, and then you get the parents who complain to you, you know, that you know, this kid has a better treatment than my kid. It's now. This kid is faster. I'm sorry. Like and, and you cannot, you know, it's hard to explain. It's mm. it's it's some some players are just better and they're faster leaner, they just get it, you know, and, and those are in the end the best in the world. And again, you know, we talk about the pressure in our sport. You know, it's not for everybody. And it's not for it's not easy. You know, if you want to be the best or top ten, top twenty in the world in anything, like what do you expect? Of mm. course there is pressure. Of course it's hard. And this, you know, the, traveling the world, playing, losing, a lot of losing. It's lonely. It's tough, you know, and it's not some some people are just done for this and some are not. So uh, and sometimes when you realize that you're not for it, then then it's painful. Yeah. Well, it's better you can move on quickly then get out of there and move on. Yeah. What did you after you finished playing, did you always have in your in your head that you were going to go into coaching? Not at all. No, not at all. It was it came as a as a surprise to me as well. Um I got a call from um, uh, one of the agents uh, for Milos Raonic, uh, Raonic agent, Amit Namor, um, and he, he asked me if I would be interested in coaching Milos. And for me, it was, you know, he was, I don't know, I remember now, he was like 25 in the world, young, upcoming, 
great potential. Um, I said, you know what, if I'm ever going to actually do this coaching gig, you know, this is the guy, you know, this is, uh, th- this is it. So I flew, to, he was in Rome, I flew to Rome, uh, I spoke to Milos, um, I spoke to the agent, um, and I said, guys, like, I'm, yeah, let's try. I mean, I'm happy to help. And he had other options, other coaches that he considered and he interviewed. Um, and then I went back home and uh, got a call uh, would you come to paris Roland Garros with with me milos so and so that's how how it started but it was not uh, given for me no i i did not i i was always somebody who liked uh, strategy i liked uh, you know putting my head in and trying to think and try to analyze and uh, but to be a coach or to be a good coach, you just, I, I didn't know. It was not something that I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. And did you enjoy it at the start? It was tough. <laughs> start was hard. Start was hard because Milos didn't do so well at the beginning, especially on grass, which we would help, you know, expect him mm-hmm. to do so well. Yeah. He lost first round in Halle, first round in Eastbourne, second round in Wimbledon. It was tough. Some really bad losses. Um, and then, then we sat down after Wimbledon and... I uh, told him, listen, like this kind of test period finished. So uh, do you believe in me? And uh, I, I would like to, I think I have a lot to give you. But and he, he, I mean, credit to him. He said, no, let's let's go. I, I believe you can help me. So then then results started to come. And then obviously he also came to number three in the world. So it was a fantastic journey. How did you and Roger begin working together? Well, it was, it was, well, I mean, strange. No, it's not strange, but I was in London for the finals. Um, in 2015, I was commentating for uh, Sky, Italia, Italian Sky. Um, but Roger and I were close friends, and so and uh, my wife was also in town, so he invited my wife and 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 uh, and me for dinner with his wife, and we just had casual dinner. We have a lot of those, and um, and just in by the end of it, he just like very casually asked me, oh, "Would you coach me?" And I was, <laughs> "Yes." <laughs> so. Uh, I didn't know he was he was not going further with with uh, Stefan Edberg. So uh, I was I was really surprised. And then we we started to talk about you know the goals and about his game, what I thought about his game, and so and so. It happened very quickly. So then a couple of weeks later, I was in Dubai. Well, what did he ultimately? Why you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a question for him. Um, why me? I don't know. But I do know that. I knew his game very well. I played 16 times against him. I, we knew on the, on the, on the, on the private level and personal level, we knew each other. He, he knows he can trust me. Like, I, I guess I, I checked all the boxes that he was looking, looking for. Obviously you don't know if it's going to work out or not. This you don't know, but, um, he, he just, you know, I also played against most of the guys that they were still on tour, you know, in 2015, 16, when I joined Roger's team. So, um, I think those are the reasons. I mean, again, but that's that's a question for him. I, I actually never read um, anybody asking him that, so I, I would be curious to see what he says. If you can set up the meeting, I'll ask him for you. What do, what do you see? What did you or do you see in him that most people wouldn't know about? Like, is there some sort of magic characteristic, or w- what makes him so special? I know we know from the outside, we know certain things. But is there anything else that you're amazed that once you got closer to him and you're in, you know, you're in the change rooms with him? Yeah, no, it's it's it's. it's I mean, I think is he is what you see. Uh, he's not trying to be something for public and then privately is different it's not like that so i think the people by now they got pretty good idea of who he is and how he is uh he's a funny guy very uh, he likes jokes he likes to have very good times uh, in terms of you know atmosphere good vibes a lot of laughs a lot of singing a lot of uh, you know being happy and then work hard i think this is something that people don't talk enough how hard worker he is because obviously he wouldn't uh we wouldn't have won everything that he did without without that because the people think that it's so everything it's kind of comes easy to him you know but you don't you don't play tennis like this uh without really working super hard i did ask some of our followers a small group them to have a question for you and the one question that came back was how did you convince roger to change his backhand well first of all i didn't change his backhand that's that's the first answer um it's more maybe how he uses his backhand um but uh, that was i think everything kind of clicked in that uh, australian open finally is 2017 against rafa he decided to take the ball early 
and and hit that backhand flat and then just worked out so well in that match that he kept doing it for you know many months and years later so that was something that it's just just worked out you know um it's uh, it was not again coaching at that level doesn't really look like okay Roger why don't you hit the back end like this and then he steps in and does it you know it doesn't work like that so uh <laughs> but i think that particular match gave him a lot of confidence with that shot and then he he then kept using it from your playing career your coaching career and watching Croatia at the World Cup for you which one did you find the most stressful coaching by far yeah coaching sitting in the stands well I mean now the coaching is allowed but um, when I was coaching Roger and Milos coaching was not allowed so sitting in the stands not being able to say anything and just suffer and and hope and pray and whatever everything that comes nothing you can do is just hard that's that's the most stressful part absolutely by far well yeah i i I can only imagine how you've no control of it and are you pro in-game coaching or not no completely against completely against i think it damages our game immensely i think it, it it just takes away so much from from what we were special for and and you know the pressures and then the stress that players have to find a way to go through uh, themselves i think coaching it's it's absolutely a bad idea for our sport but i guess you know modern times come come with modern ideas and i'm afraid looks like we lost that fight not yet well, you're big into chess which we'll talk about a bit in a while and a bit like having a little having your chess trainer to your right hand side helping you with the moves it'd be the exact same as that isn't it no it's it's bad i think it's bad idea honestly i, I don't see any benefit from it uh, it's just bad it, it's, it's as simple as that i think also generally um as an idea somebody telling you what to do i mean what kind of a person do you are i mean what do you become like even when you stop playing you know it's like what there's always going to be somebody telling you what to do i mean it's just it's just bad idea as simple as that i i, I completely agree with you Speaking to Ivan, you really get a sense of the mental strength he managed to develop to achieve the things he had in his career and life. I'm not surprised he's against in-game coaching, and I think it can tell you a lot about why he makes such a great coach. Independent thinking and self-reliance is the key for any athlete who wants to make it to the top of the game, and encouraging that in younger players will only benefit. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. That purpose is also in their name. ASICS is an acronym which means Anime Sano Incorporate Sano, a Latin phrase meaning sound mind, sound body. Today, the brand is still dedicated to that founding belief of demonstrating the positive effects sport and movement can have on our mental well-being all over the world. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever, which includes the new Court FF3 Novak, the shoe designed from the ground up with the help of Novak Djokovic. Get your pair now at asics.com. This is just a quick reminder you're listening to Functional Tennis, the podcast that helps you get 1% better every day. With me, Fabio Molle. Coming up, Ivan reveals one of the biggest problems he sees in the juniors of today, and he also tells us about his new role in the French Federation. But first, let's learn a bit more about Ivan's Tennis Academy. Okay, so moving on to more more present day time, we're going to talk about your academy. Your brother-in-law told me all about it. It looks absolutely amazing over there. The weather says it's sunny most time of the year, which sounds amazing, but I don't know how to pronounce the location. Can you tell me how to pronounce it? Loshin. Loshing. Yes. And when did you set it up? Uh, we started, uh, well, officially, we started, we had like a soft opening in, in July, um, two years ago, uh, 2021. So uh, that was, that was kind of, we started using the courts more than really opening the academy. And then we had first players in September uh, 21. And what's the what's your goal of the academy? What sort of players are you going to have? Yeah, well, I mean, generally we have the most of the players are kids are age 14 to 18, 19. This is, uh, but, you know, we have also pros coming and we have uh, everything really because the, the facilities, as you said, are so nice. It's really beautiful here. And what I find particularly uh, good here is that it's easy to stay focused. 
uh, we are on the island. Uh, the hotel, it's right next door, right, like literally attached to the courts. Uh, you don't lose time on traffic. You don't lose time on, on anything. You're, you're here, you, you know, you practice. This is, goes a little bit to my days in Italy. And this is where I got the idea of what I wanted to create. It's something like this, you know, that and that, that the play people get together. What we have, the kids, they play each other, you know, with each other also outside of the court. We have chess boards you just mentioned. We have like people, kids get socialized, which is very important, I think, these days uh, to try to get kids to, to stay off tablets, phones, and then just enjoy the nature because here... It's beautiful, uh, 365 days a year. Obviously, we have some rainy days, but again, the temp temperatures are mild. We can stay outside every day of the year, and, and it's just very calm. It's very, uh, as I said, early, easy to, to stay focused. And, and I see this in kids, you know, how fast they improve when they come here. You know, you see immediately there's no distractions. That's one of the most important parts here. Going on your experience when you were in, let's say, Turin, no family there. Now you have kids at your academy with no family, you know, the, their family aren't there. Do you have a better understanding for them? Yes, of course. Now it's different with the phones and video calls and calls, you know, back in the days we didn't have those. So um, yes, but I do. Yes, we do have a people. We have a person who is responsible for the kids underage who are here without parents. We are really trying to take care, extra care of those, you know, but of course we always suggest and we ask the parents not to leave, especially the, the kids 12, 13 is too early. I mean, it's just, you know, the parents should always be with them, you know, and then we, we didn't have any issues luckily so far and uh, so so we we do prefer parents being with kids but again we have option if you know the parents cannot stay here or if they want to leave a kid for a week or two i mean that's of course not a problem and can adults come and train there for a weekend for a week do you offer those programs absolutely absolutely we haven't done it so far we had some some test packages last year in 2022 but for 23 we are we are fully ready for those as well i mean it's it's just it would be pity not to to leave this place also to those who wants to come here and enjoy recreational tennis. We are organizing European Championships for the seniors, you know, 30 and plus, all, all mm. categories, which is going to be in June. So uh, those people, we had it last year and everybody was who came here was amazed of of where we are and how, how everything, how beautiful everything is. So uh, I really invite everybody, just come for a couple of days, just come and see. And then if you don't like it, please, okay, no problem. Never come back. But I'm, I'm pretty sure then it is going to become one of your uh, regular visits that, uh, that for the future. I'll have to sign up for the 35s in June. So for, for the best 35. Well, that's the but, toughest category. Yeah, that's the toughest. I, I find 35s and 40s are the toughest category. But hey, you, if you don't try, you will never know. We had Fred Gill on the podcast a while ago, and he was 35s champion. So like, you know, you come across him first round, you're like, oh, this is... This wasn't yeah. meant to happen. Like you're meant to be still on tour. But there are yeah. there are doubles, there are mixed doubles. So you know there's other opportunities, and it's and cool. you can also have a good time. That's true. It's all about having a good time, isn't it? And yeah. so moving on to present day, you got a new job for the French Tennis Federation. Tell me about it. It's really at the, I'm at the beginning of it. Uh, the idea now it's for me to meet. Uh, a lot of coaches, a lot of people to understand their structure because it's a huge federation, really big. Um, they have national centers that I'm, you know, visiting these days. So it's I'm really at this first stage where I'm getting to know everything and everybody. This is a phase one, and then phase two is going to be sitting with a with a team, and and we're going to analyze everything and and decide where I can help the most. So this is this is and of course they have Olympic Games in Paris in 2024, which is huge. And you know I'm going to try to help those players who are going to be competing at the Olympics to try to win some medals. Nice, it, it's a big challenge. And is it is it going to be a, is it full time job based in Paris? It's not. It's not necessarily based for one particular place. So um, it's as I said, you know I'm going to be visiting. They have a lot of different uh places you know clubs uh, regions you know for me it's really understanding the structure of the federation then I'm, I'm talking about phase one phase two it could be that i will be spending time in paris absolutely because that's where 
CNE, as they call it, Centre National d'Entraînement. So the National Training Centre, it's in Paris. It's right next to Roland Garros. So this is where, you know, of course, I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time. Nice. Well, best best of luck with that. Uh, Thank you. Hopefully France can, they're due to get a few new players to come through. So hopefully you can guide them through. And look, we're all a lot about like getting 1% better every day at, at functional tennis and encouraging that throughout the tennis world. But there's certain characteristics you need to do that. And like, Patience and discipline is one. When you look at junior players, how do you encourage discipline and you know consistency? How would you encourage that as a coach? It's very. I mean, it's one of the challenges of the coaches these days. You know, patience, especially with again, you know, we go back to the gadgets and and phones, and you know, they get everything very quickly. You know, I I, I hate to see kids, you know, eating with the phones like this, you know, in in, in front of their eyes. It's just very hard then to expect them to understand what patience or what investing time means, mm. you know, that because everything in life for them, it's like, boom, you get it right there. Like you click two clicks, you get your new whatever pair of shoes tomorrow. It's at your doorstep, you know, so it's very difficult. Uh, when we talk about discipline, I mean, this is something that you just got to do, right? So you have to ways of getting things done. One, it's being motivated. And second, it's having discipline. If motivation doesn't work, then discipline needs to kick in. If you're motivated, we are not talking about the discipline. You know, it's it's easy. It's there, right? So so you have to understand the concept of motivation and discipline and, and make sure that everything is done. Again, you know, being part of the academy or the way also we do it here, it's quite simple because you cannot not do things. You don't need discipline in a way because you're always guided. You're always... You know, you're going to be there. You're going to it's it's easy in a way. You know, you don't have to have a self-discipline in order to kind of do things. But discipline does is required when, you know, when you're there out there by yourself, yeah. when you have to do things that are not regular, when you need to read a book, when you need to kind of, you know, do something for three months, six months consistently every day. For that, you need absolutely a discipline. Yeah. And uh, what about long term view where? You know, players under 14 may lose a match and they get really upset and they think it's all over. How do you get them to buy into your success will come over the long term? It's not about today or tomorrow. Once you stick to the plan. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't encounter a lot of kids who don't understand the long term. I sometimes, I actually, the opposite that I find, you know, I have a player, one particular player here in the academy who is, who is, uh, who is a 16, he's about to be 17. And he talks to me about uh, when I, you know, I play futures, I play challengers, this, I say, whoa, 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 you know, like he's almost too far ahead, you know, instead of being today present, you know, like what about next week? And if you win this challenge, this uh, um, junior tournament, and if you win two, three tournaments in a row, then we're going to go to futures. It's okay. You know, so, so for me, it's more that than the other way around, right? If somebody loses, you just put him on the tennis court practice you hit like 50 forehands and they already kind of they already feel better right so for me that's not a problem and again i don't necessarily think it's a negative thing players feeling bad when they lose i mean you need to have that fire in you when you when you see let's say a parent calls you or somebody calls you look i have this kid he's really good he's 12 potential for the future what characteristics do you look in somebody young that could potentially lead to them having a good career well i mean first of all i always say listen i okay fine great fantastic come you know i need to see it first and and mm. what i li like to do with the kids when they come or players doesn't matter what age i make them play points show me show me how you win a set you know because forehands backhand serves these that everybody's good you know like especially you know what i mean it's it's yeah. you don't see much but how do you use those well, how do you behave how do you do attack do you defend do you you do you become passive do you, you are you angry like this is i see through the points and usually you know when 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 you put kids in 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 such position when they come here and they know that they're being watched and even that practice set it becomes like a competition set right it's not really a practice set so you you really get exactly what you're dealing with right so this is this is what i want to see first and then then you go step by step you know at that age when you talked about 12 it's really not about winning you know it's about how you go about things it's how you go day by day and they should yeah. not be really practicing every day yet at that age and i see so many 
practicing way too much at that age because, they, you know, if they are the best in the world under 10 or under 12 is because they practice too much. I can tell you right away. You know, you need to still tell me who was the best in the world under 10 and was then later number one in the world. It just doesn't happen, right? So, so this is what the parents then need to understand that it's not how much you do something, but it's the quality of the work. And of course, focus on the improvement, the technical, physical, but also mental. They need to, you know, the, uh, today I was speaking to one friend of mine and we discussed about life coaching or coaching or how do you go about things? How do you prepare today? How do you prepare kids for the future? And it's not about bringing their back to the courts. It's not about solving their problems for them. That doesn't prepare them for the future. It's about giving them tools to be ready for unexpected. Because tennis, I mean, in general in life, but in tennis generally, it's about adapting to unexpected situation every day, right? If you give all the answers, if you solve all the issues for those kids too early and all the time, when they get on the tennis court, they're going to feel lost. They're going to feel completely lost because they will always expect that somebody else solves their issues. And that's not that's not great. No, no, you, you talk a lot of truth there. I like it. And just again, this is something totally different. But you, how do you, you're, you were competitive your, your whole life, got number three in the world, all the titles you won. Today, how do you burn your competitive energy? Chess. I lose a lot of chess games these days. That calms me down. <laughs> chess is your magic and you're competitive. Yeah. Are you going to play in the world championships? Are you... How good are you? No, for me, the, the thing about chess, I don't know how much you know about chess, but whatever the level you are and you play 10 games, you're going to win five and you're going to lose five. doesn't matter what level you play. So for me to get better, I'm not interested. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I play good chess, decent chess, I guess, but I'm not interested in getting better. Uh, it's, it's my therapy, my mind therapy. I, I know mm. if I play at the highest level, I'm still going to win five and lose five. It's just going to be at a high level, right? So yeah. I don't have time. I don't have energy to invest into getting better. So I just enjoy chess as it is. And do you still like striking tennis balls? I, it goes up and down. I play with my son. I really only hit balls with my son these days. Um, sometimes, actually this week, I, I, I hit some balls with the players in the academy. And I, and I liked it, you know, for, for many, for very long, I, it was, you know, it was not something because, again, you know, it goes back to what I just told you. And I, once you... Once you're used to serve three aces a game and then you yeah. struggle to put the serve in because your shoulder just doesn't go anymore, then it's not fun anymore, right? So, but I, I think, I don't know, I think I will be playing a bit a bit more this year and the years to come. I feel it. Nice. And tell me, what advice do you have for players and coaches who want to be 1% better every day? Focus on today. Try to make today 1% better than yesterday. No revolutions. Revolutions don't solve anything. Quick fix doesn't exist. Just step by step, 1% better today than yesterday. I like a quick fixes don't exist. No. Yeah, thank you very much for that. And that is it. I just have a few, just a few short questions for you now and then what? we're finished. So I've taken up enough of your time. Ivan, what's the one match you tell your kids about at nighttime? What's the bedtime story match? Oh, for me that I speak about? Oof. Uh, well, Indian Wells semis and final, Rafa and Roddick, those, those were two beautiful matches, 7-6 uh, in the third and 7-6, seven, 7-6 six, seven, six is those that I won. I have one amazing one that I lost, 7-6 in the fifth again against Rafa in the final of Madrid indoors. Yeah, I don't really talk too much about my tennis to my kids. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. My son is 14, my daughter is 11, and I think they're just about now to discover who I am. <laughs> so um, they, they, my, I, I, I realized my son was crawling through YouTube trying to find some of my yeah. matches. You know, unfortunately, I'm a little bit old, so YouTube didn't exist back then. But he did find some 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 matches there. I say it's like great, Daddy. You were amazing. I'd say that it's a great feeling when you see good. the great videos oh, of you playing them. No, but you know what I find also with the kids, kid uh, kids these days. You know, then they almost don't know that I played. You know, um, the, the, the young ones, you know, they're, oh, this Rogers coach, uh, Milos coach, you know, he's a coach, you know, but then you tell them, oh, you know, I also played. Oh, really? Oh, I was number three in the world. Then you see the shock. You know, so so it's this new generation that they don't really go deep, you know. And I also had one player that I was completely shocked. He's 19, 18, 19. Guy likes to go to the net, servant volleyer, plays a lot of volleys, you know. And then I tried to explain him something about the volley. And I said, you know, uh, Patrick Rafter, you know. And I saw a hole in his eye. I said, Patrick Rafter. And he looked at me and said, you don't know who Patrick Rafter is? He said, no, I don't. And I was like, well, you know... 
this is this is what what drives me nuts. How can you not know who Patrick Crafter is? He's number one in the world, two Grand Slams, seven the most famous seven volleyer maybe ever, and you are going to the net all the time and you don't know who that is. Like this this for me is just crazy and 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 yeah, makes me makes me mad. I have to say, you need to have t- tennis education classes in your academy. Tennis school. That's a good idea. We should have yeah. the academy, like history of tennis. So, I have three lessons you have to give us. What's the What's the one lesson you learned from Milos? Oof. Learn, learn how to relax. He needs to learn how to relax. Now, I think by now he he learned it. Oh no, we, we got this. Oh, that's actually my question. Actually, worked out good. It was like, what one lesson did you learn from Milos? Ah, what I learned from him. I don't know what I learned from him. I mean, he did impress me, I have to say, with his work ethics. That was insane, really. Like, I have never encountered a person who is so disciplined and so to the to the, to the the goal, right? Amazing. I, I mean, maybe that's something that I learned from him, like discipline and work ethic. Incredible. But he had to learn to relax. <laughs> yes. I hope he learned by now. I haven't seen him in a while. I don't know where he is. I hope he's well. Yeah, but he needs to learn how to, you know, switch off. Uh, one lesson from Ricardo Piatti. Oof. One? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Your top lesson. Yeah, your most important lesson from Ricardo. If you work right, if you work correct, if you do everything right, you're going to make it. And he made me believe and I made it and I will be thankful for life. And I'm going to try to teach that to, to kids I I work with is that really just just trust the process, just trust the process, trust the people and things will happen. You know, just have patience. And because when I started to work with him, I was ranked about 300 ATP. Two years later, I was still 300, right? I stuck with it. And then mm. I exploded and then everything happened. So sometimes you just need to have patience and, you know, trust the process. But you have to have the right team around you. That's true. And you don't know when, the, when that is. That's, that's the tricky part. That is the tricky part. And final question, your top lesson from Roger. What I learned from him. The day, that the day has a lot more than 24 hours. <laughs> My God. What he's able to squeeze in in one day. I don't know how he does it. I mean, it's just insane. I tell you, like when I when I would when I would go home for a couple of weeks and then I would, you know, go back to, to work with him, like first two days I'm tired. Like I, I don't know, I ran three marathons just by standing next to him and, and just following him in, in oh my god. I mean, it's incredible. It's just insane. Ivan, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Very insightful. I learned a lot there. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. No worries. I'm waiting for you and to, to see you in, in Loshin. That's all the time we have for you in the podcast today. Thank you so much, even for coming on the show. It was very insightful and powerful. And I'm sure there's a new generation of juniors who will usually benefit from all that you've learned in the game and continue to make such an impact on the sport. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to learn more about me or the work we do at Functional Tennis, visit our website at functionaltennis.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at the Functional Tennis Podcast and with me on Twitter, Fab Mall. This podcast is produced by One Fine Play. James Bishop is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer. Kazra is our superb audio engineer and editor. I've been your host, Fabio Molly. Thanks for listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.